With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Welcome back, everyone, to uh, the latest edition of the Tennis.com podcast. Ed McGrogan, your host, as always, um, a long hiatus, I understand. I appreciate you keeping the, uh, the icon on your, on your podcast app. Uh, but we are back. I'm, well, I'm with Steve Tigner, of course, as well. Uh, Steve, a long, you know, a long way since our last pod as well. So welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yep. Um, so quite a, you know, there's quite a bit that I think you and I want to discuss today uh, with the U.S. Open behind us with a round, with the semifinal and a, and a busy playoff round of Davis Cup behind us. But before really getting into the meat of the, uh, you know, the fall season, which I think is, is a fine thing considering how much tennis happened in August and, and you know, leading up to this point. But I actually wanted to start today with some news that came out this morning from the WTA side, and that was Stacey Allister, the CEO of the tour, um, resigning. It was, you know, for personal reasons. We haven't really heard much more than that. Um, and I, you know, I, I thought it would be good to bring her up because I think that overall, you know, as we look back at what she did with the with the tour itself, I think it's been a pretty, I think it's been a pretty good success story. Um, and this is, you know, this comes in, you know, when we think about tennis and, and some of the leaders that they've had in recent years, you know, many of them have not done the sport any favors. I think back to, you know, Etienne de Villiers and the ATP, um, you know, leadership in tennis have never exactly gone hand in hand, but I think Alistair overall did a pretty nice job in her tenure. Yeah. I think when you look back, it's, it's, it's pretty positive. Um, and I think it's, it's a surprise that she, She's resigning now and resigning so quickly. You know, it's effective in in about a week. Um, but yeah, when I think of 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 the WTA over the last few years, it's been positive. She, I think, first sort of revitalized the WTA championships, which were all, always an afterthought when they were in LA and Madrid and Doha. But once they got to Istanbul and now Singapore, on you know, on, during her time they've they've really flourished you know bigger crowds players all there bigger media attention and you know that's that's a tur- that's an important tournament for them one where where you know it's not a grand slam um there's no you know it's not a dual gender event it's just it's just the WTA and that you know the fact that that has been more successful was a big deal also i think she revamped the schedule and and that's helped it seems get top players to play at more of the big events that they want them to play at you know the she, there was a, a road map with which, which sort of which um you know shortened the overall schedule and made sort of the, the mandatory requirements a little less but 
And I think that's that's also helped you. She was also helped by the yeah, fact... Yeah, one thing before we get into that, yeah, the WTA, we should note, still, you know, they end their calendar before the ATP ends, and both of those tours have have cut back on the overall length of them in recent years, but, you know, still the WTA, um, you know, gets theirs done, I think, earlier, gives their players a little bit of a longer break going into the, you know, after, obviously, quite a long year, so I think that is to be commended, it's a good point. Yeah, I think that's benefited because you see more of the top players at the events that the WTA wants them to play. Um, of course, that also has its own problems, but I think that's been good for the tour. And I think she she benefited from a good time player-wise with the WTA. Serena came back full-time. Sharapova came back from injury full-time. Uh, that definitely helped the tour's profile. So, you know, I think it's been a it's been a successful successful run for her and, and has positioned it, you know, leaves the WTA in a stronger position than when she when she came in. Yeah, I mean and and thinking about a couple of things you said there, um, you know, first I'll start with the schedule. This is something we always talk about. Um it's you know, as you said, it I, it's been hard for the WTA's big showcase event to gain traction. Um it's a it's a tough balancing act in my mind for the WTA over the past few years when the ATP has had, you know, unquestionably three all-time great players um, sort of universally lauded by tennis fans and, you know, casual sports fans alike, you know, that's where the eyes tend to drift. And, and you know, as we've seen over recent years, many of the big tennis tournaments have become dual gender events and, you know, it takes it takes obviously two tours to make that happen. Um, but pretty much everything, you know, it's almost become a surprise when you, when we don't see a big tournament that isn't a master slash premier event. And, uh, you know, I think, I think, I think that helps the profile really of both tours, but all tennis players in the sport in general. Um, and that's to be commended. Uh, the, you know, the other thing too is, you know, I recall the WTA years ago, you know, really playing up, um, you know, really playing up the sex appeal, I think, of, of its athletes. And, you know, that's not to say that, you know, that's a bad thing or that that doesn't happen today. But I think that that, I think she, Alistair has let and has encouraged the players in their games to really speak for themselves. And we're seeing, you know, Serena is the finest example of that, but, but, you know, over the years, we've seen a number of, of champions come and go. You know, the, the tour has a pretty strong, I think, overall youth uh, element to it right now. I think the I think the the game post Serena is is uncertain, but but I think it's yeah. I think somebody I think it's in good hands, but we you know we just don't know where it's going to go. But I think overall, it, the way you put it is, it's it's left in better hands. Whoever kind of comes in and assumes control, I think, is uh, is is the right thing to say. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. The the that was like ten years ago, and maybe more. This this strong appeal to to sex appeal, you know, to the players' sex appeal that you don't see anymore. The, the tour seems a little more secure in promoting the athleticism of the players, and that's you know partially that's the players you have. Gr- Great athletes like Serena and Azarenka, um, and, and I. But I think the the tour seems a little more willing to to bank on that, and you know that's I think that's that's positive. 
Yeah, and I think overall it's made for a more sort of enjoyable experience from a fan's perspective of you know of, you know, of what we've seen. I think this is kind of hard to explain, and I think it's you know, a matter of personal preference, but I do think the WTA has done a nice job of of really becoming a very inviting sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, fun tour to follow, but, you know, sports are meant to be fun. You know, they're meant to be entertainment first and foremost, but I think it's, I think it's just done a, a nice job, particularly, you know, whenever I've seen Alistair around and at events, um, you know, she was in Charleston a few years ago when I went down there and made, you know, a big point. This is when, you know, they were honoring, uh, the original nine, uh, for their, you know, really, sort of trailblazing efforts for the tour many years ago. You know, I think pointing back to the heritage of the tour, it was just the 40th anniversary, um, I believe, of the WTA. And, um, you know, I I guess we'll see really, you know, I'm sure something will come out as to really why she decided to to step away. And I I think just just as interesting maybe who ends up, you know, taking over. You think back to, um, I believe her immediate predecessor or p- person before her in this position was Larry Scott, and you know we we've seen where he went to the uh, the Pac-12, and you know his you know his goal was, you know, I, I think I think when you think of Larry Scott, you think of someone very business oriented and looking for the 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 gain of the tour overall. I think the one thing we always hear about from anybody who who leaves the positions of either tour is that at some point down the road for tennis to make it to, to get the most out of what it offers is there needs to be one tour period. It needs to be a, a unified, um, you know, a, just a unified game. Do, do you think that ever will happen or is just, there is obviously a lot of history in tennis that suggests that there's just so many factions and so many cooks in the kitchen that it will never happen. But do you ever see the game getting to that point? I guess I never would have thought that, um, until maybe the last couple of years when you see people like Andy Murray sort of making, you know, you, you never got the feeling that the men wanted to, to you know, become one tour with, the, the ATP didn't want to become one tour with the WTA, but you sort of start to see a realization, I think, among some of the men, or at least, you know, starting with Andy Murray, and then also watching the um, the team event last fall in, in Asia and, and the you could, you'd see the sort of the power of combining all you know the stars from both tours. Um, so I, it seems more likely to me, more possible to me in the future than it was just a few years ago. I you know I don't know where that'll go. It, there's a big distance between the two, and like like you said, you know, for 40 years they've been basically split, and there hasn't been a great interest, I think, from the men's side to combine more. You know, they've they've combined. At a lot of events, and maybe and maybe more than we would have thought possible a long time ago. So, so I think there are some reasons to think that the tours will get closer in the future. Yeah, well, it'll be uh, you know quite a, a story to follow if it ever gets to that point for sure. Um, let's kind of work our way back to uh, to where we, I, I suppose, left off our conversation. Many, many matches and tennis balls ago let's let's go back a couple days you know to davis cup um and uh, you know the semifinal week giving you know giving us a final of 
uh, 111 years in the making or something. You know, Belgium and Great Britain, I, I think Chris Clary tweeted out, you know, you can go on DavisCup.com and, and it's it's a pretty good, it's a very good site for, you know, if you want to really kind of go down the rabbit hole and dig in to see some history. Um, these two played a long time ago and neither of these two countries have been in the Davis Cup final for many, many years. Britain since the 70s, you know, Belgium, as you probably have seen written if you follow us since 1904. Um, this is a year that I think it could be said that both of these two nations perhaps took advantage of, um, you know, of a lesser overall fields in Davis Cup. You know, we, we know that the defending champion Switzerland did not field, a, you know, their usual potent roster originally. But Britain has done a very nice job of, of getting through, you know, their draw. You know, you can you only really play who's in front of you. Um, you know, Belgium kind of the, the really the Cinderella story. Um, but, you know, to me, one of the big takeaways, that's, you know, as we know about Davis Cup, that matches many, many weeks down the road. Uh, but Britain, as, as I think of them, you know, Novak Djokovic has led his country to a title in 2010. You know, Rafa has done a lot with Davis Cup Federal last year. And now it seems to be Murray's turn. And I think that's one of the big stories of this week. Yeah, this is, you know, each of those guys has, has won it at least once. Murray, I don't think Murray probably for a long time reasonably thought he had a chance to, you know, Great Britain had a chance to win it. But this, you know, like you said, this year everything's broken right. And if you have one sort of unbeatable player, one one guy who's going to win two singles matches every time and possibly contribute to doubles, you have a chance. Um, I also think it's interesting, you know, Djokovic, and Nadal each used Davis Cup wins as a springboard the next year. You know, J- Nadal won his first French Open after winning the Davis Cup, and Djokovic became number one. You know, I think it's too late to say that Murray is going to do something like that. He's, you know, he's already 20, he's going to be 29 next year. But, you know, would winning the Davis Cup help him individually? You know, I, I feel like when you watch him play Davis Cup, he's a completely different player. None of the None of the negativity that we're used to shows up, and he's better. You know, he's he's just he's really he looks tough to beat. He's not playing the top competition in these matches, but you sort of feel like he's going to give his best, be at his best in Davis Cup, and you sort of just makes me wonder whether whether that can be something that rubs off on him as he goes into 2016. You know, in his individual matches. You know, you know, it's it's certainly possible because I, you know. He is at the age where, you know, as compared to, let's say, the world number one, Novak Djokovic, they're, they're the same age, essentially. You know, it, it does obviously appear, and, and the proof is there, that, that at the moment Djokovic is not only ahead of Murray by a considerable margin, but ahead of everybody. Um, but Murray has, you know, I think Murray has many, many gr- good opportunities and years left on it for his individual tour. Um, you know, I think it's true what you say. Djokovic really was, I think, at a crossroads of his career when he, when he, when he helped Serbia win the Davis Cup, and it kind of just flipped the switch. And from that point on, it's been a totally new player. Um, yeah, and and Murray, like you say, the supporting cast has has always seemed, you know, just lacking compared to all the other, you know, fellow Big Four players in their countries that we've mentioned. Um, but 
you know, Britain overall this year has done, you know, beats the U.S., beats France, beats beats Australia. They 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 basically have been through the original. These are these are the four nations basically. These are the Grand Slam nations too. Um, it's it's been quite a run for them. They play they play Belgium, who has beaten Switzerland, Canada, now Argentina. Um, kind of a you know the the cliche kind of a scrappy team. Darcis Gofan. They'll host this tie. They will. Um, it sounds like it'll be played on clay, and uh, there's been some question as to whether, you know, where Murray's allegiance could lie, it, because he could. He there's been talk that he could even skip the World Tour Finals in London because of the, uh, you know, the drastic surface change from a very fast hard court uh, going to you would think slow clay uh, in Belgium too. So that's a little interesting story to follow. Yeah, I think he's been. He's been discouraged from so far from from skipping the uh, the ATP Championship since it's in London and he's probably you know he's up there with among the biggest draws at that event. Hopefully he'll do whatever he wants. You know, hopefully he'll prioritize it the way he wants to prioritize and doesn't you know isn't forced to play a tournament he doesn't want to play. Um, I still think he's the favorite to win two singles matches on clay against Gofan and and Darcis or whoever Belgium puts out there. Um, I guess it could come down to the doubles again. I just feel like, you know, Murray's twenty-five and two in singles in Davis Cup, and he really seems like a different player in Davis Cup. Um, so you know, we'll see. Uh, I guess this this whole final shows that any team that gets into the World Group has a t- has a chance to make the final. The U.S. was pretty close to beating uh, Great Britain and way, way they- back, yeah. Yeah, and and you know, it's interesting too. I just look at the Belgium side very briefly. Um, would kind of you know if we remember Gofan, I, I believe it was this year. There's there's just been so much that's happened. At one point, was on a massive winning streak. Um, you know, would be a very you know very sort of appropriate uh, way to to finish his year. Of course, he's up to number fifteen in the rankings. If you know some of you, including myself, have have forgotten, it's been a very very strong year for him. Um, you know, Darcis, I always kind of remember as uh, you know, who beat Rafa at uh, Wimbledon a few years back there. So it's um, I, I think overall it would be a nice tie between the two nations because you know you give the surface edge and and the home court advantage and to Belgium and you obviously have the really the breakthrough player in Murray there. Uh, that won't be till pretty much Thanksgiving, so you have you know, quite a bit of time to chew on it for sure. Um, and and you know, with that said, you know, I think I think we should perhaps at this stage of the year, you know, I've always I've always said, of course, we're looking ahead to tennis, but you know, to me, it, it it will still always feel as as though the U.S. Open really is the the end in a way of of the true season, the true barometer of how we measure uh, our players, um, particularly the the you know the biggest players who you know peak for the slams um you know that's really the currency that that we measure them on and you know as we as we saw in uh in queens you know we have novak djokovic now at 10 grand slam singles titles um to me just you know to me when i when i look back at djokovic's slam season it was 
at the beginning of the year, I was thinking about really the opportunity that he had where it seemed that there was a lot of uncertainty besides him. I, I, I sort of felt like I knew what I had in Djokovic, uh, and he made the most of his opportunities pretty much across the board. You know, as, as has been said, he actually did come closer, if you want to measure it from a, a win standpoint, to completing the calendar year slam. Uh, then Serena, who, you know, as you know, fell in the semifinals. Um, and then you have Federer, who, you know, I think still is amazed in a different respect, you know, at 34, still just looking like really the clear number two at the moment. I, I do think, you know, I do think Murray, I, I'm very optimistic on Murray for next year based on, a, you know, based on um, just his year overall. I don't think the, the U.S. Open should really define him, but, you know, Federer overall, just impressive stuff. So, you know, any perhaps final thoughts as, as we really just kind of say goodbye to the slam season? Well, I guess, you know, like you said, this feels even more like the U.S. Open felt more like the end this year because both Djokovic and Serena clinched number one. Um, Serena didn't win the tournament, but she still has that ranking through the end of the year. So there's really, you know, there's nothing that's going to happen or change at the top on either tour in the next two months, it's going to be, you know, maybe positioning for next year and and just winning these individual tournaments. There's no, no nothing bigger trend that's that's going to happen or big drama that's going to happen. Um, I guess you just look at those two. To me, Djokovic and Serena. We when they won the first um, when they won the Australian Open, each won the Australian Open. I think you or I said we could be, you know, what if there's two Grand Slams? This year, what if there's a possibility of two and nine? You know, I don't think either of us or anybody really believed that, but it almost happened. You know, Serena almost won. Djokovic, you know, they they each came within two matches of winning winning the Grand Slam, and I don't I don't really see much changing for them, especially for Djokovic next year. I mean, at some point, Serena is going to, you know, age is going to catch up to her, or injury, or just she won't be able to keep up the the focus but you really look at Djokovic and just think this is just you know when is when is this sort of run going to stop it doesn't seem to have a you know it it sort of seems like he's got years and years of this type of of play ahead um so that's you know that's what I come out of the US Open with is is really those two still you know the fact that they clinched so early just that you know that kind of sums up the season that's very true, and I I do wonder what that uh, you know what that leaves us with. Uh, you know, we'll we will find things to discuss in the fall. There is always something that uh, you know. There is always something to talk about. But that's a very good point that uh, the drama has been pretty much diluted um, up until uh, you know we get to perhaps the you know just the last events of the year and maybe those are more you know we kind of draw indications of what's to come and I, I think 2015 has obviously very clearly been uh, you know the year of Novak Djokovic and the year of Serena Williams for sure um, so with that I think it's a good place to stop and um, you know we'll get in touch next week uh, you know some more important events um, the WTA premiere in Wuhan being the foremost uh, in mind uh, and some other players returning to action, too. We'll be uh, discussing that and more on the next Tennis.com podcast. Thank you for listening. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.